Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. Good evening, children of the night. I have some fun news from the District. Jeremy from Starship Sofa will be at Worldcon in Helsinki and will be on two panels, one on flash fiction and one on editing. If you're in the neighborhood, I'm sure he'd appreciate your attendance of his panels. This episode is only a few days before the start of Worldcon, so it might be a bit late. I imagine that we've posted something on Facebook and another something on Twitter, but I don't know about the first one, and let's talk about that. I uh, rage quit Facebook. I've had that Facebook account for roughly 15 years, and there was a time that it was fun. Fun to see what your friends and family were up to and the pictures that they shared. And then at some point it started changing. Endless clickbait shares to low-quality articles or just another directory of clickbait. And the weaponization of whatever hill someone has chosen to die on, usually political. Everything is a raw nerve, and I can't have a conversation from a different point of view with someone on Facebook without them behaving as if I'm arguing for kicking their children in the throat. A few years back, I had suspended my account following a disagreement with a family member that got out of hand, comboed with a gang of crunchy granola mothers who declared that I'd be an unfit father because I stated that I understood a couple that locked their children in his room at night so he didn't ramble around the house in the darkness, as he was prone to do. Then I reactivated the account once Tales to Terrify became the Stephen Kilpatrick show for a while, and I had to manage Facebook and Twitter because I was the only person handling anything on the show at the time, 
And that's when Facebook was sort of like breaking up with a long-term girlfriend and then trying to stay friends, and it just doesn't really work out because all the relationship problems are still there anyway. After a year or two of very, very intermittent posting, I triggered someone who raged against something that I posted, and it wasn't even really political. Maybe in 2017 America we can't help but fight each other, like monkeys in a cage at the zoo fighting. It doesn't solve anything, but maybe we're just feeling trapped. I don't know. Well, I talked about this for a while. How is this relevant for Tales to Terrify? In the immediate, the other staff will be managing any comments that are made there or any direct messages. Also, the service that announces new episodes to the Facebook page was tied to my account, and obviously it broke when I terminated my account. I asked Scott to take it over, and we've discovered some mysteries over the way the Facebook account was initially set up. Hopefully, by the time you hear this, it'll be resolved. But if you wondered why the Facebook page missed an announcement or two, that's why. In the slightly longer term, I'm considering recreating my Facebook account, not adding anybody as friends, and then just being re-added as an editor for the Tales to Terrify page. Or maybe I'll just tell the staff that they can handle it, and anything that needs my attention, they can get to me. I'm not sure. Jury's out. I've got some time to think about that, because you can't immediately delete your Facebook account. You have to schedule the deletion, and that takes a couple weeks. I imagine that's a cooling-off period for Facebook addicts who are rage-quitting, like me, that get the itch and come back to it. But, children of the night, I hope that the people you have in your Facebook circle of friends are a diverse group of people who treat each other's opinions with respect and disagree with that same measure of respect. If you don't, email me and I'll walk you through the steps of how to pull the trigger on taking old Facebook behind the shed. Let's hear some fiction. Alan Bird is a horror and science fiction novelist from Long Island, New York. His previous horror works, featuring werewolves, demons, zombies, and yetis, are the thrillers All Hell and Blood Cold. His sci-fi action extravaganza, The Roswell Protocols, features a covert battle between world powers to gain the technologies from a second spaceship that crash lands outside the United States' borders. His short story, The Grim, will be appearing in a New York State of Fright anthology later this year. For more information on these and his other published works, please visit www.allenbird.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-B-U-R-D. Lend me your ears for Alan Bird's The Empty. The darkness is everlasting. No matter how bright the day, no matter how burning the sun, I am trapped in eternal blackness devoid of all sight from eyes that clouded over upon my death. Yet, somehow, my other senses still function. I taste the pungent, stale air as it slips unhindered down my open throat. I smell the foul odor of my rot and decay. I hear the rare interruptions of my infinite silence when the wood surrounding me creaks as it contracts on cold nights. I feel the insects and larvae crawling across my ever-thinning skin, burrowing deep into my exposed cavities. Far worse are the memories. My mind remains sharp each and every moment of my life still clings to my dormant synapses and survives within my cells. 
the fierce gust of wind that lifted my first kite and nearly carried me off my feet, my father's calloused hands guiding me as I pedaled my bike, the impact of the bully's fist smashing into my nose when I stood up for myself and the satisfaction of giving back as good as I got, the feel of the leather as I caught the winning touchdown pass in a high school playoff game. The bitter taste of beer and the acrid aftertaste from regurgitating one too many, my unwavering commitment to always be my best, putting in long hours of work year after year to earn my medical degree, the fulfillment from curing those I could and the remorse for those I couldn't. And through it all, that special someone to share it with. My wife, Camille, with her strawberry scent, oceanic eyes, and soft skin I loved to nestle up against in comfort and climax, her pearly white smile that matched her flowing wedding gown, her painful grimacing as she gave birth to our twins, the two of them blossoming into adults with their own lives, feelings, and destiny. Little did I know how meaningless it all was, all lost to me in a moment of ruthless pain. My neck violently snapped forward, then back. Shards of glass shredded my skin. My bones snapped as my limbs were forced in directions they weren't meant to bend. My sternum cracked and crushed under the bruising weight of a steering wheel being thrust forward at high velocity from the impact of a head-on crash. Internal organs lacerated. Excruciating agony beyond anything I've ever felt followed by the end of everything. Or at least that's what I thought. Oblivion. Nothingness. The void. Those are all temporary things. A moment of quiet before hell's storm. I felt pain once again as a trocar punctured my abdomen. I tried to move, to scream, but my body was deprived of all motor functions and my sight was gone, a thin film obscuring my view. At first I thought it was terror that froze me, but soon my medical training took over and I realized I couldn't hear or feel the hard thump of my heart that accompanies fear, nor the hastened breath, any breath, that should have been exhaling from my mouth. I felt the piercing of my right common carotid artery. Horror strangled me. I smelled a formaldehyde as my blood and interstitial fluid were drained and replaced with preserving chemicals as I uselessly struggled to display the slightest sign of life. I experienced a sharp chill as air aspirated my hollow organs, completely unable to express the desperate thoughts racing through my mind. Unable to generate even a teardrop, as everything vital was being stripped away and exchanged and decorated for appearance sake, cursed to visualize my embalming, my vivisection. Fear became dread, became hate. Seething anger that no one could see my condition even though they still possessed the gift of sight. Rage as to being powerless as my so-called friends and family ignored my mental pleas, Fury as I'm sealed away, listening to the dirt splash atop my coffin and fill my grave. Their kind words offered no solace to me as they consigned me to this dark fate. Only untapped resentment layered upon layer of it, building into a mountain of revulsion as I lay still with nothing to occupy my time but putrid smells and devastating thoughts of loss. Vehicles rumble above me. The ground shifts slightly under the pressure of something heavy, being placed atop my final resting place. Footsteps approach, lots of them. For a brief moment, I am once again filled with hope. Is my long nightmare finally over? Did they now realize what they've done? Are they here to rescue me from this never-ending nightmare? But the hope 
dissipates as quickly as a brisk wind. I hear sobs and solemn words, gentle laughter, similar but lighter than the words spoken at my funeral. I realize it's my unveiling. It's one year later, a year that passed so slowly it might as well have been an eternity. But they aren't here to save me. They've merely come to place a slab of marble on top of me, a tradition that only serves to rub salt in my many open wounds, a final gesture by my loved ones so that they can ease their guilt as they forget me. And then even this moment ends. The voices fade, the footsteps trail off, the vibrations of departing vehicles drop away. I'm alone again in the cold hollow with only a fresh bitter reminder of everything taken from me. Everything I'll never have again, along with a tombstone, doubtlessly carved with my incorrect expiration date. They'll think that all that is left of me is an organic shell. They believe all that remains of me is decomposing flesh and leftover bones. They believe I am the empty, but they are wrong. I'm still here, ever aware, trapped, a non-entity for time without end. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. That was Alan Bird's The Empty, as read by me. Link to my page will be in the show notes. Our second story for the night comes to us from Zach Chapman, an Austin-based horror, fantasy, and sci-fi author and editor. Recently, his fiction has appeared in Persistent Visions, Steampunk Universe, and Futuristica Volume 2. Zach's debut anthology, Time Travel Tales, is available on Amazon. 
is currently working with a film company developing a Spellslinger series for television. Zach blogs on occasion at chappiefiction.com. He followed on Twitter at ChappieZach. Listen with me, children of the night. Does Zach Chapman's Dagon in the West, or not West enough, a Spellslinger story? Rattling from inside the walls woke me up for the second time that night. I grabbed from a pocket watch and accidentally knocked my revolver off the nightstand. Twelve o'clock. When I reached for my gun, I saw her. She stood facing the cot, not quite four feet tall. Something had eaten her eyes and mollusks slithered across her face. Ragged breath bubbled from her sagging throat. Great, I said rubbing the rot-gut hangover from my eyes. Now I'm never going to sleep. She'd been there the night before, but she hadn't played up the wheezing act. She'd been a good ghost and had stayed quiet. Now this and the noise in the walls. I rolled back onto the cot and stared at the wooden slats on the ceiling, feeling my eyes grow bloodshot. The breathing grew louder, wouldn't stop. The girl leaned over me, peering her empty sockets into my soul. You'd be frightening, I told the ghost, if you weren't so damn pitiful. I sighed, but the apparition didn't catch the hint. I thought of my potion belt. It held a purple dispel I'd bought off an Irishman in a far east town, Innsmouth. I could use it on the ghost, and she'd dissipate. But she'd be back in a minute or two. What other choice did I have? Don't do it, I told myself. Don't get involved. You can't save her. You can't avenge her. You're not a Pinkerton. You're not a lawman. You're just a spell-slinger catching some rest between towns. Who was I kidding? The death rattles would steal my sleep until I... Did what? Escorted this ethereal corpse to the pearly gates myself? I sat up and brushed some straw from my long johns. Didn't bother to put any clothes on, but I slipped my gun belt around my waist, just in case. Okay, lass, how are we going to do this? If you find me your bones, I can bury them. I ain't avenging no spirits, or solving no crimes. Ain't part of my job description. See, it's against Spellslinger code to seek justice. We kill frontier monsters. Maybe the occasional old one is all. You might have known that. A hiss burbled from a broken trachea. No avenging, I argued. You'll have to settle for me burying your bones when we find them. It'll work. Ascension into the white light and all that. I've done it before. No mystery solving or avenging murders. Her eyeless stare was ungrateful, despite my offer. Yeah, no wonder your kind drive mine to madness and morphine. Go on now, lead the way, or let me sleep. She seemed to pause at this, as if her rotten brain was considering. Then she floated through the door. Downstairs, the saloon was silent and empty, save for Bill, the owner. A man eccentric enough to build an inn thirty miles from the nearest town. He sat behind the bar, an empty bottle of rotgut in hand. When he saw me, he didn't acknowledge the dead. 
murder, or that I was only wearing my long johns and gun. His eyes drooped, soaked in the rot gut we'd shared hours earlier, and he nodded. Midnight piss? he asked. I could smell the night's meal, sour bread and crawdads on his breath, from ten paces away. He perked up in drunken recognition. Whoa, hey, you look rather dashing in long johns. Thought you'd have drunk yourself to sleep by now. I'd have dressed to the occasion had I known otherwise. Oh, don't mind me, he lowered his voice to a whisper. Just don't wake the patrons. Heard you talking to yourself upstairs. Keep it down. Besides me, there was only one other patron at the inn. Yeah, boss. The dead girl led me outside, past Bill's garden and small cornfield into the woods. Nothing but hill country for miles in every direction. Underneath the smell of white cedar and hemlock existed a decay, a stickiness like all the trees in the wood had black sap at their core. I brooded vocally to the dead girl. It was too damn cold in July, especially if you're just wearing long johns. My complaints didn't slow down. Oh, silly me. Dead things don't care about temperature. Unsurprisingly, she offered no response. Sure, now you're silent. Not far into the forest, we passed a shanty. It was a rectangle of logs, vines, and piled stones, yet it still had a roof, though tin and rusty. I'd seen dwellings like this on the New England coast, with crude hieroglyphics and the stench of sea salt and rotting jellyfish. Damn Yanks with their weird gods. Thought I'd traveled far enough west to be rid of them. Within spitting distance of the structure, I saw the first bone peeking out of the underbrush. The skeleton was sprawled out. Quickly, I attempted to estimate what had happened. The remains must have been placed there. But why? And why hadn't some critter dragged off the appetizing parts? I leaned in for a closer look. The skeleton's skull had chunks gouged out of the cheekbone, and what looked to be dried barnacles filling the eye sockets. They were white enough to have been picked clean and sun-bleached. Where in tarnation did these crustacea come from? Hmm. The body size matches. Trauma on the cheekbones match. Yeah, that's you, all right. Just no clue on what did you in. But it doesn't matter. Look, if you agree to leave me alone for the rest of the night, I'll ask Bill for a shovel and get this taken care of after I sleep off the rest of this rat gut. The specter growled. Come on, you're really going to make me do this tonight? I could feel my shoulders slump. Fine. A glimmer in the forest caught my eye. A trick of the moonlight. I squinted for a moment, focusing. Not a trick. There lay another bone several paces from my ghost girl, and another. My eyes adjusted. This forest wasn't just her resting place. It was a damn boneyard, a mass grave. More than a dozen skeletons littered the forest floor. I thought on it. Could be a demon or a supernatural creature. I might need to go get my soul decoctions and spell belt if this was going to turn into a whole ordeal.
just in case whatever did this shows its ugly face. Your bones and that's it. No avenging, I told her. And there's no way I'll bury all of them tonight. These assholes better not follow me back to the lodge and do their death-rattling while I try to sleep. Hold there, Long Johns. Who are you talking to? A voice said from behind. The ghost faded into the murk of the forest. I was speaking with a fine young lass, but it seems that she's abandoned me, I said. Perhaps I've had too much to drink. Well, both statements were true. Courting a lass in your skivvies? Lies. Who the hell are you? Ain't no town for miles. Must be staying at the lodge. Why are you stomping round, disturbing the grass at this hour? I turned to meet the voice's gaze. The man held an over-under shotgun pointed at the ground. The action opened with two loaded, rust-bitten shells. It was likely, but I wouldn't want to wager my life that they'd misfire. At first I thought the man was Bill standing outside the shanty. He had the same sunken, pockmarked cheeks as Bill. Only this man was taller, broader. "'Name's Rick, heading west,' I said. "'I'm a guest at Bill's saloon and lodge, having a midnight piss.' "'No, you wasn't. You having a conversation with someone. "'It's dangerous out here. Lots of beasts and the like. "'You best be on your way, and don't stop at Bill's for your belongings. "'Get straight on to wherever you're heading.' "'He snapped the over-under shut. "'Ain't gonna happen. Got things to do tonight. "'Not leaving my belongings, and I'm not about to start.' At these wee hours, a fifty-mile hike to the next town over in Malong John's. I squared up with the man. All he offered was a blank, irritated look. His eyes reflected dull green like a shark. I itched to draw. But all he did was turn around and barrel back into his shanty. I would have laughed then if not for the twenty glowing crescents that materialized from behind the cedar trunks. And when the creatures stepped out of the shadows, the moonlight revealed twisted clumps of wet scales, sharp fangs, rigid backs, and mismatched green eyes. Shoggoth, but smaller than the normal variety, and a litany of other unpronounceable creatures from the deep. Perhaps two dozen, harmonizing a symphony of guttural gurgles that splashed bass through the night. And the ghost? still conveniently vanished, useless when I needed her. I wanted to bolt for Bill's lodge before the Shoggoth could finish circling me, but they'd overwhelm me if I ran. With only six spells in my gun, I might thin them out, but they'd still be using my bones as toothpicks in the end. So I eased back, keeping my movements slow, direct. They stalked, their eyes never shifting from that nocturnal green, Back through the forest and field, I could hear their wet growling, saw their gleaming teeth. Why hadn't they sunk their teeth in me yet? Maybe, individually, they knew that the first shug-up to take a bite out of my calf would suffer a bullet to the brain. Or maybe their ancient instincts dictated to exhaust their prey before the kill. As I approached Bill's lodge, I saw another pair of glowing green eyes between me and the entrance. 
This time I went for my gun, but the eyes flickered. Bill stood outside the entrance. The sounds of padding and growling shuggeth at my heels waned, vanished. When I looked back at the beasts, they studied me curiously, without malice, then slogged back towards the woods. Bill waved his bottle of rotgut at the fleeing shuggeth. I see you've met Robert, my brother. Surprisingly, your long johns are still white. He say anything before chasing you off? Not much, other than he didn't like how far into the woods I went to take a piss. I didn't know Shuggoth and other sea creatures traveled this far inland. How did you manage that, controlling them? You a summoner? My father was a fisherman. He taught me spells to quell the creatures. Did he teach your brother spells to entice them? You'll have to pardon me for his actions. I haven't spoken to him in years. We had a falling out of sorts. The kind that ain't easily mended. Differing ideas on business practices. I suppose sibling rivalry don't end well when you can both send a pack of hungry sea terrors at each other. We didn't used to beat each other's throats. We built the lodge together, a safe haven for weary travelers where they can kick their feet up and drink our brew. People change. They do. I looked around. The girl was still gone. Good. Maybe I'd finally catch some shut-eye. Well, thanks, Bill. If you don't mind, I'll be back in my room till midday tomorrow. Good night. Sir. Bill smiled. Hell of a night, I mumbled as I stepped inside the inn. Of course, she appeared. A kind of reverse fade into existence the moment I sat on the cot. You were a big help back there. Thanks for the heads up on Crazy Rob. Now I'll be going to sleep, if you don't mind. I'll take care of the bones in the morning. No more murder-solving or sugar-hunting or bone-burying tonight. She offered a soundless banshee howl, and I rebutted with a curse of exactly how unimpressed I was before rolling face down onto the cot. I didn't even remove my gun from my hip. The rattling in the walls resumed, followed up by an irritating scratch like a fingernail on hollow wood. I pushed my eyes closed, stuffed the limp pillow around my ears, but the noises penetrated all. I counted sheep and did every trick but cast a spell for sleep. Still, the haunting persisted. I nearly went for the dispel potion, but I knew it'd just be a waste. Damn Irishman ripped me off. If only he'd sold me something a little stronger, a concoction that lasted at least a few hours. Fine, I threw the pillow across the room at her. It went through her and slapped the wall with a hollow foop. She continued the scratching. I walked over and knelt down. What is it? I'm up. Please stop the noises now. She didn't. There's no morphine here, and the window ain't high enough up to break my neck where I'd have tossed myself out it. You've made your point. I was grinding my teeth when I noticed she was scratching on a panel that looked different from the rest of the wall. This section was a lighter shade. I knocked to the left of the panel. Solid wall. 
knocked to the right, and it was also solid. But this panel sounded hollow. The floor underneath was well-worn and scuffed, as if there had been quite a bit of traffic into whatever hollow space was on the other side. I worked my fingers under the false panel until I could pry it open. Indeed, there was a dark tunnel on the other side, but it was clearly too small for a human to traverse. Interesting, I said, but now what? You don't expect me to fit down there, do you? Thankfully, she drifted off in another direction. For the first time, she made a sudden jerking movement. She pointed at a newt leaping out from under the cot. It noticed my attention and skittered across the room into a tiny hole burrowed in the mildewed floorboard. And a newt? I've seen a dozen since yesterday. Sure, they're rare in these parts, but so what? I stared at the pits of her eye sockets. They're clues. I get it. I just can't tie them together in a neat bow for you. I'm no detective. Just a hungover, sleep-deprived spell-slinger. Look, this is going to be a whole ordeal. Let me at least toss on my munitions and potion belts. Without them, I'd be turned into a ghost as useless as yourself. I paused for dramatic effect. Offense intended. I think what pissed me off more than lack of sleep was the lack of rise I could get out of her. She just floated there with all the ominousness she could muster, eyeless in her flowing nightgown. Before I could properly cinch my belts, she juddered and drifted through the door again. Damn it! Slow down, girl! I stumbled after, opening the door. The hallway was cloaked in gloom, quiet except for the constant rattle in the walls. I caught a glimpse of her just as she disappeared into a guest's room. "'Come now,' I whispered at the motionless door. "'I can't up and barge into the only other guest's room like that. Poor Bill might lose a patron.' I couldn't remember his name. Lenny? Larry? Leonard? A name like that. He, Bill, and I had played faro and drank for the better half of the afternoon. He was the only other traveler at Bill's. "'Hey, friend!' You awake? I tapped down the door. No answer. I heard a sound like something wet and heavy being dragged across the flooring. Hey, you in there! I raised my voice. When I still heard no answer, I tried the knob. It was locked. I kicked the damn thing in. Hoped Bill wouldn't ask for reimbursement. The dark stain on the empty cot was the first thing to catch my eye. Blood splashed the floorboards, fresh blood, so much blood that the likelihood of Lenny being alive when I found him was slim. She floated a foot above the mess, facing me. "'Where?' I shouted. I could just make out Bill's tired droning from below. "'Quiet up there! You'll wake the patrons!' She pointed at a trail of blood that ran to the wall. Another false wall. I splintered the trap door with the heel of my boot. Another tunnel too small for me to crawl in. The trail of blood continued into the darkness. I heard tearing noises like a drunken butcher at the block. Smelled decaying seaweed. I leaned in, slipping on the blood, 
and tried to peer through the shadows. Five uneven green eyes stared back, shoggoth eyes. Indeed, poor Bill had lost his only other customer, and he was sure as horseshit going to lose another if I knew what was good for me. The door was right behind me. I could run. It'd be that easy. But there was the dead girl, charming me with those judgmental eye sockets. Okay, I get it. You want the monologue now? I pointed at the trap door. That's how he killed you. He's controlling the Shugoth. Rob or Bill, one of them, built this lodge into a murder palace. Full of false walls and mazes only frogs and Shugoth can slip through. Murders the patrons with the creatures. Been spying on me the whole time, watching me out of feral eyes. I wiped Lenny's blood off my hand onto the cot. She didn't seem responsive. You knew all this. Monologue over. I paused. Take me to your killer. She sank through the floorboards, and I had to leave Lenny's room and walk down the stairs to catch up to her. I imagined newts, frogs, crustaceans, slithering through a labyrinth of miniature corridors inside the walls. Downstairs, Bill was nowhere in sight. The lodge rattled, but this time I suspected it was only the midnight wind. She waited for me, hovering over the bar expectantly. We'll figure this out, I said. Can't kill him. Slinger code. But I'll think of something. She descended once more, disappearing into the floor. I slid over the bar and snatched a bottle off the shelf and took a swig. Hair of the dog. Behind the bar was a hatch in the floor. When I pulled it open, an amber glow shone below, lighting worn rungs. I climbed down. The pit was humid and smelled of waterlogged blubber and dying fish. Pulleys, cranks, and dumbwaiters infested with barnacles lined the walls. Crabs and crawfish darted down miniature shafts that snaked off into darkness. This was the heart of the madness, the heart of the hidden maze inside Bill's lodge. A dumbwaiter lowered, teetered, and spilled fish carcasses and crustaceans onto the wet floor. Hundreds of slithering creatures oozed in and out of crevices. The whole pit pulsed. It was a machine, a machine that produced a dozen murders or more, not to mention the constant goddamn rattle that had kept me awake. At the center of the pit, a furnace blazed. Bill sat at a hearth, eclipsing the furnace. His empty bottle of rotgut magnified the embers, burned orange. He ignored the massive shugoth that paced the room, trailing putrid-smelling slime in its wake. How Bill manufactured that was a mystery of the mazes and the walls and a testament to his control over the grotesque creature. Damn it, Bill, I was hoping to be your brother behind this shit, not you. The Shugoth gnawed on something fresh. Lenny's limp cowboy hat lay at Bill's feet. He picked it up and tossed it into the furnace and murmured what sounded like a prayer. Why'd you do it? I asked. He showed me a splintering of brown teeth. For Father Dagon, Mother Hydra, and Great Cthulhu. 
I'm a priest of the esoteric order of Dagon. I am very far from the coast. So many sacrifices must be made. His facial features began to shift. His eyes widened and then rounded. His pupils swallowed his irises. His lips inflated. His skin grew slick and dark like a spotted eel. Aw, oh, shit, I sighed. Not only a Yankee, but fishhead. Thought you folk dried up the farther you were from New England. Father Dagon's generosity is matched only by our gifts of sacrifice. In exchange, the fish have been bountiful. Dagon has kept my belly full. The lives I've given to Father, I've lost count. Forget how many people you slaughtered? No surprise there. Heard fish brains have the memory capacity of about five seconds. And your brother, what of him? I asked. He a fish cultist like you? Robert collects my refuse. Bill's swollen cheeks wagged as he shook his bulbous head. Try and honor the dead in his own moronic way. He rejected Father Dagon, and that is why his spells over sea creatures are weak. That is why he lives in a hovel, alone, while I live in luxury, with constant company. Bill leaned down, snatched a prawn from the ground with his webbed fingers, and chomped its head off. Shrimp dinner every night. What a luxury. Even for a fish head, you're particularly disgusting. Looking at him with his cheeks full of prawn, I really wanted to put a bullet in his little fish brain. Perhaps I was too obvious. Now, Rick, you may be able to take down some, but you can't kill all the shoggoth and creatures under my spell with your spell-slinger tricks. He waved a hand at the shrouded shafts. Hundreds of glowing eyes appeared, some small, some as large as the shoggoths. And you won't take a shot at me because of your spell-slinger code. I know the stories. I might be a hybrid, but I'm still part man. If you kill a human with that gun of yours, you'll lose all your magic. You're right, I said. So where does that leave us? Bill asked. Not a stalemate. The girl appeared next to him, hissing through her broken trachea. Bill took no notice. If she could speak, she'd be pleading me to put a bullet in him. I knew I couldn't just leave. I couldn't just let this fishhead continue sacrificing travelers. Bill held his hand out to the shoggoth and let it lick the prawn juice from his webbed fingers. Let's say I let you live. When you finally get to wherever town you're heading, you tell their sheriff there's a Dagon priest in the Midwest Hill Country. What if he doesn't dismiss you as a loon and brings a posse all the way out here? Unlikely, but I'll tell you what he'll find. My brother, a cracked hermit hybrid with human remains scattered about his hovel. So sure, go ahead. You're free to go. You know what I am. Fair point. I appreciate your generosity. Unfortunately for you, I won't be reciprocating. Before Bill could react to my words, I went from my potion belt. I tossed the dispel potion above his head, drew and fired. 
glass and the lavender liquid rained down in a mist throughout the pit. Instantly, the ghost disappeared. "'What have you done?' Bill screamed, the sweetly scented lavender potion running down his fish face. "'Parting present. The effect won't last long,' I said, still square with him, but already backstepping toward the hatch. "'Thanks for letting me go.' "'Oh, not now,' he burbled. "'I'll have you torn apart for this. A spell-slinger sacrifice to Father Dagon it is.' His eyes flickered green, and the Shuggoth became attentive. An agitated swarm of crustaceans pulled at my heels, pinching my boots. But as the potion took effect, they slowly dispersed. Bill's bulging eyes faded. The sea predators shifted their focus from me to him. The Shuggoth turned towards its master, now free of his control. "'Why can't I influence them?' Bill panicked. Spellslinger, what have you done? Attracted to the shouting, the frogs and fish and prawn and shuggoth and unnameable creatures crept towards Bill. Countless pincers, claws, fangs, tentacles, moist in the dim firelight. They descended upon him. That was my cue. I turned and crawled up the rungs. In the bar above it all I could hear Bill scream, followed by the slick sounds of ripping flesh. "'How's that for a sacrifice to Dagon?' I spat, snatched a bottle of rocket off the shelf, and finished it. In my room I considered collapsing on the cot, but if I did I'd sleep past noon. If travelers came I wasn't keen on explaining the dead fishhead in the cellar. Instead, I packed. The hangover was diminishing. I thought of seeing the ghost off, maybe tossing some dirt on her bones, but I'd done enough for her for one night. I left the lodge. The sky was a deep shade of blue. The wind rustled the trees, carrying the scent of cedar and hemlock. The smell of decay that had been there hours earlier was absent. It would be morning soon. I had a long walk ahead of me. I glanced at the Dagon Lodge one last time and caught a glimpse of a flowing shadow, just like a nightdress. The wind sighed an irritating gurgle. Aw, oh, shit. Fine. I'll go find a shovel. That was Zach Chapman's Dagon in the West, or Not West Enough, a Spellslinger story as read by Dan Gerzinski. Dan lives in Tully, New York, near Syracuse, and earns his living bending the unseen forces of nature to his will as a broadcast engineer. He's a recording engineer, electronics technician, repairer of broken things, and regularly reads for LibriVox.org. Thank you, Dan. That'll be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editor Scott Silk and associate editors Seth Williams and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Leitze, and theme music by Diane Severson. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. 
This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 